we've been talking about strength for the journey and the things that we need in life that come from God's word and God's truth that will bless us. These are things that if we miss them, we're going to have some trouble and uh, we'll cause our own trouble if we choose not to follow in some of these areas. Today, we're talking about wisdom. We need wisdom for the journey. Proverbs 4 says this, wisdom is the most important thing, so get wisdom. Huh, the Bible says, I want you after this. If it costs everything, you have to get understanding. I have uh, some wisdom that come, comes from some children here today that I want to share with you. Jesus had suffered the little children to come unto me, and from the mouths of babes, you've heard that saying. Let's see what they, uh, they gave when they were asked for words of wisdom. Patrick, age 10, said, never trust a dog to watch your food. <laughs> Hannah, nine, when your dad asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer. Talia, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> Alicia, when you get a bad grade in school, show it to your mom when she's on the phone. Experience, a teacher there. Eileen, just eight years old, never try to baptize a cat. <laughs> Michael, never tell your mom her diet's not working. <laughs> Must have been very young when he said that. Randy Nine said, stay away from prunes. <laughs> More than one reason, if you ask me, for that. Naomi. If you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. These, these, these are words of wisdom, um, but there's greater wisdom that we're going to explore today, the wisdom that comes from the Word of God. Let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Father, thank you so much. <clears throat> your, your Word is truth, and your Word says the truth sets us free. Lord, in all of life, we tend to take what people teach us, what we're told in school, and <clears throat> we're influenced by the media and politicians and co-workers. And today, you come with your word to say, remember where true wisdom comes from. So help us, Lord, as we're weighing all these things to count what you say is most important. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I want to start with this thought. The wisdom of man is limited. Because we tend to think, uh, you, you know, there are many universities in, in the United States that started out with the saying, um, uh, call, call, wisdom is the light, or the light is wisdom. And they meant Jesus in the early days, but now they, they've moved it to education. Education is the light now. And um, we hear from people who know not God and who are very intelligent, and uh, they, they have reasons that they've concluded um, what they believe, that they've come to that conclusion. And, and we need to be careful not just to buy in because something sounds good to us. The thought of going to college. Why do we lose so many students who go from the church to college, a secular college? And one of the reasons is they hear professors uh, attacking in an intense way the word of God and followers of Christ. There's a movie out now that kind of explores that thought. God's not dead. And um, so let's, let's look at the wisdom of man for a moment and see what the Bible says about it. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 3.18, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. 
as the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. So don't boast about following a particular human being, for everything belongs to you. As I think of this, I think of one of the battlefronts these days, and as believers, we're winning on this battlefront, believe it or not, you know, when it comes to creation or, or, or evolution. Um, one of the arguments now that, that some great thinkers that are Christians have moved to is, is the, the exploration of intelligent design. And this is what that means, intelligent design. That means the complexities of the universe, the universe rather, reveal that there must be a designer or a creator. That's what intelligent design is about. So if you're going along in South Dakota and you come up to a mountain that has four huge heads on it, you don't say, honey, look what the wind did, right? Because you, you're, you're more intelligent than that. You know that wind doesn't create uh, any, any structure that, that, that makes sense necessarily or, or, or vivid art. So let me read this to you because the more we know in science, the more it explains that there is a creator. This is article is called The Case for the Creator, and the uh, one being interviewed is Lee Strobel, and he says this. I have it on the screen for you to follow along. And by the way, you can get these quotes. There's a way to get this whole sermon if you want it every week. You can, you can grab it through Horizon Alliance where all, the, all of my notes are just downloaded there. And uh, you, you, you can ask questions of uh, someone near, nearby who can tell you that information at, at, the, uh, at the information booth. But let me read it to you. I think probably the greatest evidence, this is Lee Strobel now, is what we find in DNA. We've discovered in the last 50 years that every one of our bodies, 100, uh, our body's 100 trillion cells, has a strand of DNA. And that if you were to stretch it out, it would be six feet long. It's encoded with the six-character chemical alphabet that spells out the precise assembly instructions for all the thousands of different kinds of proteins in the body. Now, whenever we see a written message, we know it has an intelligent source. If we see a book, if we see a newspaper, if we see a computer code, we know that that kind of information has an intelligent source. It's logical to say that the kind of chemical alphabet that spells out the assembly directions in DNA has an intelligent source. So if you're walking down a beach and you see ripples in the sand, you can logically conclude that was done by the actions of the waves. But if you walk down the beach and you see John loves Mary written in the sand with a heart around it and an arrow through it, you wouldn't presume that the action of the waves created that information. Why? Because nature can produce patterns, but it cannot produce information. DNA is the most efficient information storage system in the universe. One teaspoon of pure DNA can hold all of the assembly instructions for every protein of all the 1,000 million species of animals that have ever existed in the planet and have room left over for all the information of every book ever published. Where does this written information come from? He says, I think it most logically points toward the existence of an intelligent designer. Then he goes on to say later in an article, let's look at science, at the science that virtually every science, scientist would concede. See, because if you meet them on that basis, they will concede that it's pretty intelligent, right? Their problem is they always try to prove from a natural basis and they never look to see if something was supernatural. 
Could there have been someone who created all this? If they start there, they would say it's intelligent. And that the odds of it being ran, randomly happening are off the chart. It couldn't be. I mean, I mean, think of that complexity that I just read about and consider this. Is it a ridiculous thought to think that this bubbled up out of the ground and formed itself? This is just a simple little pulpit, but you know because of some of the craftsmanship here and things you see, someone had to create that. There's no way that could randomly just come out of the ground on its own. Or the forces of nature could create this and make it happen because it has intelligent design, just this simple structure. How much more what we just read about? It is ridiculous and very unintelligent to say that it was random. He said, let's see, based on their playing field of secular science where the evidence points, I think the evidence points persuasively and powerfully toward the existence of God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. We read that verse. Proverbs 21, 30, no, hum, no human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. Centuries ago, a French philosopher named Descartes uh, struggle with the idea of reality. I mean, these are the wisest people, considered some of the wisest people in the history of humankind. And here's what he was wondering, whether or not he could prove that he existed. That question alone reveals that our estimation of intelligence of these philosophers in the past perhaps is overrated. Do I exist? And since he wondered how he might prove that he actually existed, he racked his brain, struggled with reasoning through time, and eventually led to this famous declaration that you'll hear in every college, I think, therefore, I am. Well, if that's the best you can come up with, that's pathetic. I remember in college, I had a professor, uh, and I, I wasn't really engaged early on as a freshman and sophomore. Later on, I really, I, I really became a good student. But I was just trying to stay eligible for sports in those first couple of years. That's all I cared about. <clears throat> and so I, I, in the classroom, I didn't even listen that much. And if they asked me a question, usually I hadn't heard it, so I would give the answer, I feel strongly both ways. And, and you know, that would create some dialogue. But, but this day, I was actually tuned in. And um, he was asking what I thought were ridiculous questions. Uh, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make noise? <clears throat> and he called on me to answer that. And I said, well, yeah, I think it does. He said, why? I said, because hypotheses would show that every time we're near it and it happens, it, you know, there's noise. So it's more logical that there would be noise. He said, but what if no one's there? Does it make noise? You can't prove it. And then he said, you can't even prove we're here right now. You know, back to De this Descartes guy. He said, as a matter of fact, this might be a dream. You're dreaming. How do you know you're not dreaming? And just really quick, I said, well, if you're so sure we're dreaming, why don't you give me your wallet? <laughs> and um, he wouldn't do that after a little bit of dialogue. I said, I'm going to conclude because you won't give me your wallet. You're pretty sure we're not dreaming. Some of these things are questions that, that, that to find the answers to, there's only one source where it all makes sense. Intelligent design, creator, who made us how we are, gave us all unique DNA. Psalm 104 talks about the creator. It says, Lord, you've made many things with your wisdom. You made them all. 
The earth is full of your riches. Look at the sea so big and wide with creatures large and small that cannot be counted. Ships travel over the ocean and there's the sea monster Leviathan which you made to play there. All these things depend on you to give them food at the right time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good food. When you turn away from them, they become frightened. When you take away their breath, they die and turn to dust. When you breathe on them, they are created, and you make the land new again. May the glory of the Lord be forever. May the Lord enjoy what he has made. He looks just He just looks at the earth and it shakes. He touches the mountains and they smoke. A better conclusion from that philosopher would have been, I think, therefore I was created. The wisdom of man is limited. And we've made smart people out of people who weren't really that brilliant. Part of it is if you don't elevate God in that place of number one, you will elevate something a philosopher, a man, an artist, an entertainer. That's why these young girls go so crazy over these bands because they're made to worship something and if they're not worshiping Jesus, they're gonna worship something else. But the wisdom of man is limited and be careful to give too much to just a normal person. Second thought, we're getting to it now. The wisdom of God is supreme and is found in the Bible. Doesn't it make sense that if God created and there's a certain order of things that he'd give us a love letter or a source to explain it all to us? And that's what he did with the Bible. Written by the inspiration, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by human hand, but God wrote it out, gave it to us, and it's a beautiful love letter that makes perfect sense and never contradicts itself when truly looked at carefully. Job 12, 13, but true wisdom and power are found in God. Counsel and understanding are his. So I say true wisdom is found in the correct interpretation and application of God's word. Anybody can make anything true by taking one scripture out of the Bible, right? But when you look at it in totality with the balance and you have several scriptures to corroborate uh, that, that, that will show truth, you find solid doctrine. And true wisdom is found in the correct interpretation and not just understanding it, but applying it. When you know it and apply it, then that's wisdom. A simpler way would be this. Wisdom is seeing things God's way. Okay, the Bible shows us God's way, and wisdom is seeing it God's way. Now we have a cultural issue right there with America. Because in America, what we're starting to say, even the church, and I say the church with the big C, in many cases, the church is starting to say, well, because politicians believe this, and you say, which side of the aisle? Both sides of the aisle have stuff that's not of God, I'll tell you that. You can't get your source of wisdom from politicians. You can't get it from actors and actresses. You can't get it from philosophers. You can't even, catch this, get it completely from preachers, because You have to read the word of God and find a balance of what it says for yourself to make sure what a preacher's preaching is true. The last thing I'd want you to do is come here every week, listen to me to get all truth and never read the Bible for yourself. Now, I want to do the best I can and I'm trying to get it right and and, uh, I I believe you can trust what I say. I, 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 I believe you can. However, I know I can't be perfect in all that I believe, so you have to read the word of God. 
And I need to be accountable for what I say and believe just like everybody else. And the, the source is where? Where do we find that truth and the balance? It's in the word of God. So we have to know it, read it, understand it. But America started to say, well, I want to do it my way. I don't want to see it God's way, even though the Bible might reveal clearly what the path is, because the Bible's full of grace, everyone sins, so I don't, I don't really have to stay in the boundaries of God's word, because he'll still love me. Well, yeah, he'll still love you, but here, I got a revelation for you. God will not bless your sin. Never will he bless your sin. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. The Bible says that our sins hurt us. It's like masochism, right? We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to hurt ourselves by doing the wrong thing and get beyond his boundaries. Well, there's two important things. First, you must know it, and second, you must apply it. And there's way too many in the church today who know it but will not apply it for whatever reason. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. There's a direct correlation between this term, the fear of the Lord and wisdom in the Bible. I'll share another one of those verses, but there's many. I mean, if you have a Bible program on your computer, just put, just put wisdom and fear of the Lord in there and see how many scriptures come up. So fear of the Lord, we, we know that the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. So the Bible doesn't contradict itself, right? So, so what that means is God's not judgmental up in heaven, wanting to hurt you, and some big mean guy who's trying to mess you around and who doesn't love you. He, you don't have to fear that he loves you. He loves you. But the fear of the Lord is a real thing. And when I looked it up in the Hebrew, let me explain what it is. If he, if he completely loves us, then what's it mean to fear the Lord? Well, the Hebrew word from that scripture means to fear, to be morally reverent. Let me tell you a, a little thought about the law now. Um, there are three aspects of it. There were, in, in the Old Testament, there's, there was the judicial, the ceremonial, and the moral law of God. Judicial had to do with government, cities, uh, and, and nations, the way they set things up. You don't necessarily have to be copycats of government to be right with God, right? So, so that one doesn't completely apply. Ceremonial, where they, you know, they had all these rules about clo clothing and they, they killed the, the, the animals for sacrifice for sin, that's all been fulfilled. It's not necessary anymore. Why is it fulfilled? Because Jesus died as the spotless lamb once for all. So those two are gone. But here's something that most of the church seems to be casting aside these days. The moral law of God has never ceased. The Ten Commandments that worked then are still for today because the moral law did not pass away. The judicial and the ceremonial passed away or were fulfilled. But the moral law stays intact. Today in our world, I hate to say it, but there's not enough fear of the Lord among the church. There's rather an attitude, some, so many Christians that says, well, I will decide what's moral for me. And by the way, God will like it. I will make God in my image. I will not follow him. He must follow me. Too often that's happening. So what's it mean to have a moral reverence? This fear of the Lord is a moral reverence. That means that God loves us so much that he'll show us the boundaries where if we cross them, we'll get wounded. Now, is it freedom 
to run out. See, this is the boundary. I run out here and just get waylaid and messed up and hurt and wounded. Is that freedom? Or is it freedom to know that God's given me these huge, these huge boundaries and I can know where safety is. I can know if I cross that, I'll get hurt. True freedom lies in staying in the safe place. And a moral reverence or the fear of the Lord is to say, I believe that when God says that's bad and it'll hurt you, that it's bad and it will hurt you. So I should stay away from it. You say, well, no one can completely stay away from sin. Come on, man. There are people who don't even know Jesus who can stop drinking without God. How much more should we, I mean, if they're alcoholics, how much more should we be able to, to shed these things that are sinful when we have the Spirit of God in us? I like to say it takes willpower. It takes your will and His power. Absent either one, there's trouble. So if God says it, I believe it, but not only do I believe it, I lean into him and whatever the sin was, he helps me to overcome it because sin hurts us. It wounds us, but not only us, it wounds others. You look at how a man, a mom or a dad might be sinful and in, into drugs with their, you know, even though they have a family or or. or, or hurting one another on a regular basis, and you understand that when children are in that environment, it hurts them too. They're, they're just stuck there, whether they want to be or not. So not only do we hurt ourselves, we hurt others with our sin. Job 28, 28. And this is what the Lord says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. So wisdom has to do with moral reverence, a fear of the Lord, and, and forsaking evil. Hmm. That means if we're doing something that God's word says not to do because it'll hurt us and hurt others, this thing called sin, that if we're going the wrong direction, this is one of the things that the church is leaving behind these days, that we should repent of the sin and turn and go the other direction towards God. Minus repentance, we have major pain as believers. So let me read to you some things that God has written down that are, are, are his, his moral decrees. He calls them wrong. The culture calls them right, many of them. Wisdom is to go God's way. Wisdom is to see things God's way. So you tell me, do you see it God's way? Or do you see it the way the word says here? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, this is the New Testament. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 11 some of you were once like that, which lets you know that you don't stay like that. You say, well, everybody sins, yes, but what this is talking about is a lifestyle of sin. People stumble and people fall. People make mistakes. But when we willfully, continually, deliberately choose a path and a lifestyle that sets itself up against the truth of God, then Christ really isn't with us. We don't inherit the kingdom of God. It's not a very compassionate message to tell people who are living lifestyle of sin that they're okay and don't worry about it because eternity's on the line. But you were cleansed, it says. Some of you were once like that, but the point is not anymore. 
You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So if someone's living a lifestyle of cheating and thievery, a business person who's taking advantage of the poor, God doesn't like that. That's one of the things that's mentioned here. And if you do that over and over again, wounding and hurting people, you're proving that you're not in Christ. And God says that I won't bless it, and in the end, you're going to have major pain because of that and other things that are listed here. Proverbs 9.10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. That's that moral reverence. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you'll be the one to benefit. And here it is. If you scorn wisdom, you'll be the one to suffer. Wow. So God tells us, if you choose to go the way of sin, you're on your own. In that sense that I'm not going to bless your sin. There will be some suffering that comes because of it. He's there to forgive. He's loving. He cares. And if we know people that are in lifestyles of sin, let me say, we should always have a heart of love and always want to build relationships and always want them to know the Lord. We shouldn't act like uh, we're somehow more righteous because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm not talking about uh, just separating ourselves to the point where we say we're more holy than other people. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about God's protection and covering over your life. And we can still completely love others who are making mistakes the same way God loves us when we make mistakes. But we need to know that there are consequences for sin. There are consequences for going in a direction that's against the word of God. And we move out from under the covering. You say, is he punishing you? I don't know if I'd say that, but I would say you're saying, I got this, God, and you're leaving his protection. And out there you'll get hurt. Kind of like this. Let me see if I can bring it down to earth. When I was about eight years old, I was in California, uh, uh, Modesto area, and my grandma lived in a really poor area, and right next to her trailer was another trailer that wasn't occupied anymore. It was old and rusty. There was a metal roof on top of, the, top of it with a wood structure, and I had been up there playing on that old wooden structure on top of that, that roof. That roof had a corrugated aluminum. Have you ever seen that little round stuff that goes like this? And, and, but it was coming off and rusty, and I was up there running around the day before, and my dad saw me. And he said, what? what are you doing? I said, I'm playing. He said, that's dangerous. Get down. I said, but I'm having fun. That's what we say to God sometimes too, I'm having fun. You can enjoy sin for a season, but the end result is destruction is what the Bible says. But I said, Dad, I'm having fun. He said, get down right now. So I got down and then I you know, got a little lecture. The next day I'm in the yard and I'm thinking when Dad leaves, I'm up there again because he's going to drive away right now and head somewhere. I know I had sin in my heart. So he says, before he leaves, son, I don't want you to go up on that roof. I was like, oh, man, how did he know? <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, dad. So he leaves. And when he leaves and gets out of sight, I ran right up on top of that roof, started running around, feeling free, and said, ha, 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 I'm having fun, I'm having fun. And my dad doesn't even know. And then, thunk, one of those metal things was curled up like this, and as I was running, Right on the round part. I mean, I've got a spot right, right here that looks just like a, a, an eyelash, you know, with the stitches that, that were there. Just a little round spot where I stuck my foot right into the metal. 
I looked down in that moment and I started bleeding. Then a lot of pain ensued after that. Not only more lectures that would follow that were deserved, but a hospital and nurses holding me down and sticking sharp objects in the wound and, and then stitches that followed. Then I'm laid up for a while. And my dad said, son, I'm, I'm just trying to help you. I love you. And that's the point right there. God's just trying to help you. He's not against you. He loves you. He's the writer of the manual. He knows how it goes. How many people have lost their family because they said, no, this is okay. God will forgive me. Well, he won't bless it. He'll forgive you, but, but you might lose your family. You might lose your wife because of the adultery. Proverbs, read Proverbs and see that stay away from those things. Stay away from that wicked person who would draw you in and cause you to commit adultery because it'll bring destruction in your life. And God said it this way to his people in Deuteronomy 4.40, if you obey all the decrees and commands I give you today, all will be well with you. Huh. Now, I know this was about the Ten Commandments, and I know this was the Old Testament, but it, it wasn't written directly to you, but it's certainly written for you, for us. That principle is still true. If you obey all his commands and decrees, it will be well with you and your children. I'm giving you these instructions so you'll enjoy. Huh, God wants you to enjoy. You don't enjoy when you feel the heavy consequences of sin. As David said, when I sin, my bones wasted away within me the oppression, the heaviness that I was carrying. Have you heard people say that when they get to an altar and they find Jesus and their sins are forgiven, it's like tons that come off their back. It's like a 1,000 pounds, 2,000 pounds. I've heard that at least 100 times in life, and I'm not sure they heard someone else say it. And the reason they say it is because the sin is forgiven, because the weight of it is gone, because God steps in to help them. I talked to two people this week who used to be alcoholics, and one day God revealed to them that they had trouble and that they didn't have to do that anymore. And in both cases, it's unusual. I don't even know if I'd recommend it. In both cases, this was their testimony. They said yes to God in that setting, and they never took another drop of alcohol again in their lives. They were messing up their lives as alcoholics. They were ruining the lives of others around them. And they yielded to the truth of God. They yielded to the spirit of God. They said, I have a will to do it. And God came with his power to deliver them. Awesome. The thought is he loves me and he's trying to bless me, not he's trying to make me do what I don't want to do. What you want to do may seriously hurt you. I remember a friend of mine who was a pastor. He committed adultery. And when I went to him to minister to him, he was in big trouble. Not only did he lose his position, he's in trouble with the law because she was underage. And this isn't common. I think pastors are some of the most righteous people I've ever met in my life, really but they are people like others and they make mistakes. And I remember hearing him saying this. The first time I kissed her, I, I heard a voice saying, this is gonna cause some great problems. But I said, no, I, think I wanna do it. So I kissed her and that was the beginning. That was the decline. And he said, man, if, if I had known where I'm at now, because he lost his wife, he lost the ministry, he was in trouble with the law, convicted. And it all started with one little thought, well, what can be so bad about this moment? 
I'm telling you, man, a lot can be bad about this moment. Because the enemy, he won't try to get you to do something terrible and just jump to, you know, going to a rest home and murdering people. I mean, he, right? I mean, that's a terrible thought, and he, he won't jump to that. He'll just start with a little thought that gets you on the decline, and then before long, you'll do a little more, a little more, and you'll end up in something you never thought you would get involved with. So, note to self, don't say that about rest home and next service. Sorry about that, all right? <clears throat> Here's the irony of the fear of the Lord. When you have the fear of the Lord, now catch this, you fear nothing else. When you have the fear of God, you fear nothing else. Death has no sting. I don't fear man anymore and what they'll do to me because God is in control of my life. I can follow God and know that all will work out for the very best in this life. doesn't mean there's no trouble or sorrow. It just means that I'll be an overcomer in my life when they come as I trust him. See it here in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. When you have the fear of the Lord, you walk with him, you get his covering. You don't have fear of the rest of the world. You don't even have fear about what will happen tomorrow when you trust him. When I fear the Lord and walk with him, when I have that moral reverence, when I have that close relationship with God, I don't fear anything else when it's working right. I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Third and final thought, the wisdom of God is epitomized in Jesus the Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 talks about the cross. Now, we, we live in a culture where, where I'm telling you, first we're, we're being asked to let go of moral truths. And we're, we're being told that this fear of the Lord is ridiculous. But not only that, what's coming next, and it's already, on a, it's, it's already here, is stop talking about this Jesus. Would you just stop it? Because there's lots of paths. I don't know why people are so afraid of a dialogue, first of all. I mean, go ahead and talk about all the other gods. Because when you talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up to really touch the hearts of people. So you talk about your God, then let me tell you about this God, Jesus. Let me tell you about the cross. Then let the Holy Spirit do it. But if we let go of this message with the pressure that's coming, we're letting go of the greatest wisdom that's ever been known. The whole Bible's about Jesus coming and God redeeming mankind. The Old Testament's just a story leading up, talking about the Messiah. The cross that we sang about today is the victory and all wisdom all of God's wisdom is summed up in his son, Jesus Christ. The message of the cross, it says in verse 18, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved <clears throat> know it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish Verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Let me stop there for a moment and say, so last week was Easter, and we sang about this cross. 
And the testimonies were unbelievable about the redemption of Christ. And they were real. Sin that had bound, heartache that had overwhelmed, and how Jesus met them and made them overcomers and saved their lives and their souls. It, they were, I loved the testimonies. And then the word was delivered about the cross. And the response was, here and beyond, somewhere around 60 people came to know Jesus on, on, on our Easter Sunday. But I'm going to tell you, you don't tell this message of the cross, people don't come. You let this go, you're letting go of the, of the wisest, most profound thing, the most necessary thing in the history of the universe. If you don't know him, you can't be saved. And the word saved is kind of slipping out of our churches too, because if you're saved, what are you saved from? Well, we don't want to talk about hell. We just want to talk about heaven. But salvation means there's, there's something really bad coming and you're going to be rescued from it as you come to get, there's some fear of the Lord too. As you come to Jesus Christ, not only is it the best life you can live in this life and get health, but you're delivered for eternity into right relationship with God the Father. And if we let go of that, then people won't be saved. Verse 24, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. So how do I deal with it when people say, stop talking about the blood of Jesus. Stop talking about the cross. And the culture just hits at it and says, why do you always have to put that in people's faces? Well, first of all, that's their terminology. I don't put anything in someone's face. But I want to give a loving revelation of this truth that sets people free. So here's the way I deal with it. I keep sharing the message with as much love as I can get in my heart for humanity. I'm willing to endure hardship for the sake of this message. You're willing in your little cubicle at work where people don't want to hear about Jesus, to walk with them, to love them, and to know. Pastor Jerry read me a verse between services that says, he that wins souls is wise. We're all supposed to be soul winners. We're all supposed to live our lives not only so we're protected and we get to go, but so we share and others get to go as we walk with them and love them and show them who Jesus is. I had a brother who was a pastor just say to me this week that he had a plumber come over to his house and um, the guy was a, just a rough character. And somewhere along the line as they're working together on something in the house, um, my friend reveals that he's a preacher, which kind of shook this guy up because his language hadn't been so good, right? But then he thought, this is a pretty normal guy. They went to the store together and they started laughing at some things and enjoying one another. And then my friend invited them to an Easter service. Well, this is just a couple weeks ago, right? And the um, guy said, you know, I'll think about that. So they work some more, and they laugh some more, and they get close to done. And this fellow says, this plumber says, what is Easter all about anyway? Talk about a setup. There we go, huh? My friend was just about like this as he was telling me the story, you know? And he started to share. You know, when we love people, right? Because if we're, if we're mean-spirited, it's not going to work because Jesus isn't. 
We're not like him if we're like that. But if we're loving and we're willing to hang on to that message, you got to trust the message. I mean, you can look at it and say, really? Huh. Seems like there might have been a better way. Be careful. Because that's the wisest thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe. And here's what I've learned. If I'll just love people and get the message out, the Holy Spirit takes care of the rest. Why do so many come to Jesus? Because when this message of the cross is shared, God works powerfully and shows his wisdom. He reveals it to humankind. And the only prerequisite is that you have to open your heart to know, is it really true? If you come with an attitude that says, I don't believe it, I don't want to hear it, you don't have to take it and you won't believe it. But, but if any person in this universe will open their heart to say, Lord or God, if you're real, show me, and they start on a search, he will show them. One of the ways he'll show them is with us loving them. And at some point, just as that guy asked, at some point he'll bring an opportunity to share the gospel that will surprise you because he wants it to be done for people's lives. And it'll be more natural than you ever knew if we open our hearts. I heard a story about a preacher who stood on a street corner preaching to anyone who would listen. And a young man, a street person, came up, <clears throat> stood nearby, and not many were around, so he turned to this young street person and said, young man, is there anything I can help you with? And he said, yeah. And he said, can I tell you about Jesus? And he said, no. Well, can I pray for you? No, I don't want you to pray for me. But I can help you? Yeah, how can I help you? Can you give me that Bible? that you're holding. If you don't want Jesus and you don't want prayer, why would you want this Bible, he said. He said, because I notice it has really thin papers and I can roll cigarettes with that. So the preacher was filled with wisdom in the moment. He said, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you this Bible if you'll promise me that you'll read every page before you wrap it up in a cigarette. He said, okay. So he thought, you know, I can get another Bible. If he'll read it, that'll mean something. So I, he gave him the Bible. And a few months later, he forgot about it. But standing before him was a young man in a three-piece suit. He's preaching on the street corner again. And in just a few moments when he stops, the young man says, do you remember me? He said, no, I don't think I've seen you before. He says, you have. I was the guy you gave the Bible to so I could smoke my cigarettes and wrap them up in that thin paper. He said, what happened? He said, well, I smoked Matthew. Then I smoked Mark, and I, I smoked Luke, and, and then John smoked me. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> because if a heart will just open up and say, God, are you real? If a heart will read, the Holy Spirit will show. And God's, God's called us to be loving and to share this message, and here's the message, Ephesians 1. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit does something with that that we could never do. That may not make sense to you. It may not make complete sense when people read it for the first time, but the Holy Spirit shows up to help them know somehow, some way in their spirits they know it's true when they're on that search. He has showered us Showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom. There it is again, and understanding. So why is Christ all wisdom? Because in Christ we have these things, a love that cannot be fathomed. A life 
that can never die. A righteousness that can never be tarnished. A peace that can never be understood. A rest that can never be disturbed. A joy that can never be diminished. A hope that can never be disappointed. A glory that can never be clouded. A light that can never be darkened. A purity that can never be defiled. A beauty that can never be marred. A wisdom that can never be baffled. Resources that can never be exhausted. He is wisdom.